1: This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost
0: it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body
1: care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. If you are thinking... Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardeners' World magazine podcast, brought to you by the
0: team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's
1: favourite experts.
0: It's long been known that gardeners tend to be healthier and longer living, but only recently has it been discovered that there are medical reasons for this, beyond the mental stimulus that comes from enjoying a hobby. Scientists have revealed that gardeners are influencing their immune systems through contact with soil and microbes every time we go to work in our gardens. So how can you, as a gardener, ensure you're doing the right thing to boost your health? Hello, I'm Lucy, and in today's episode, we hear from Dr. Michael Mosley on how every gardener has the means to improve their health and immune system through a homegrown diet and active time in the garden, doing what we all love. And he reveals how our mental well-being is influenced too, by simply being immersed in the great outdoors. So I started by asking him about his own research into this and what has been the most extreme way he has experimented on himself in search of better health. (laughs)
1: I'm not sure it was really in the pursuit of health. Well, sort of. Uh, It was when I infected myself with tapeworm. And my wife was not crazy about this. She's a GP, but um, I assured her I'd be able to get rid of it. And I was actually um, doing it in order to uh, see the impact on my immune system, because we know that uh, once upon a time, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, things like asthma, eczema and other forms of allergic disease uh, were very uncommon, and people tended to do, die of things like TB and uh, uh, smallpox and things like that. And one of the ideas is that in the modern world, we have become much more clean. This is known as the hygiene hypothesis. And that actually, the particularly the sort of tapeworms and other worms that used to infect our ancestors had a role in damping down the immune system. So I went off to check that out. And a good way to do that was to go and infect myself with tapeworm
0: delightful (laughs) but you you did manage to shed it obviously it it, they came out
1: it i did yes we actually uh, measured my immune response at various points in the experiment we weren't 100% certain because what happened is i actually uh, swallowed three cysts uh and obviously i had no idea whether they had taken root or not i didn't lose any weight the tapeworm diet does not work as far as i can see uh and it was only um The agreement I had with my wife is I would get rid of them before they reached full maturity, which is when they sort of start to emerge, and she obviously wasn't keen on that. Um, So uh, what happened is um, I swallowed a pill camera, and you could actually uh, see the tapeworm down in my gut. And at the same time, we could also measure the fact that my immune system was changing in response to allergens, particularly I'm uh, prone to hay fever. So the experiment worked from that point of view. And uh, it was a fascinating insight into the immune system, but also the role that parasites play in um, shaping our behavior.
0: And really, this is a, quite a new form of sort of science and discovery. I mean, I think in, in terms of uh, the sort of sexiness as to where you would go in your medical training. Uh, I don't suppose it was uh, right up there in the way that now we're so much more aware of the uh, purpose of our immune system. Uh, not least since lockdown, we've become obsessed about uh, you know how our immune system is working. And I think looking at it from a gardening point of view, you know, we tend to think of that as an innately healthy thing to do. But there's a sort of inter, intercross, intersection, I think, isn't there, between between gardening and and our immune systems? So I, I thought we could start to explore that here. You know, in, in terms of ways that, as a gardener, how can you influence your immune system through through what we do as, uh, you know, through our hobby.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's actually, again, tied back um, to the worm experiment. But um, what we've also discovered is there are other creatures that live in and on us, microscopic creatures. Obviously, tapeworm grow up to, um, you know, five metres long. Uh, But uh, we have a 100 trillion microbes that live in our gut. They're known as the gut microbiome. And there are a thousand different species down there. You can think of it as either a forest, a jungle or a garden, your own gut garden. And um, these species, these creatures, these microbes have co-evolved with us and they have helped to shape our immune system in a very profound way. In a similar way, if you like, that the worm does. Uh, But the worm does it to protect itself, where these microbes, they do it for mainly to proliferate. But for example, again, we know that um, uh, possibly because the microbial richness has reduced over the last 50 or 60 years, uh, that is also again linked to the rise of allergies, eczema and other things like that. And one way we know that you can boost your microbiome, you can boost the diversity of the microbes in your gut, is by gardening. We know that exposing yourself to bugs uh, in the grass, in the soil, in the air, when you're outdoors, uh, these have a profoundly helpful effect on your microbiome. And obviously, the produce you eat also will have an effect on it.
0: So it's not just eating um, things that might have a speck of dirt on it, which my granny was always very fam- uh, you know, fond of saying, eat a speck of dirt before you die. But it's, it's more than that, actually. It's just being literally in and amongst, perhaps having your hands literally in the
1: soil. Absolutely, and they will transfer from your hands uh, because we're very good at rubbing our eyes, licking our fingers, and things like that, even when we don't intend to. Um, and uh, beyond that, uh, you will actually inhale a certain amount, but it's mainly through the sort of the contact of the skin uh, that they get into you. And indeed, yeah, uh, there is research showing that beneficial bacteria enter your system that way. Uh, and we know that having a diverse uh, microbiome, having it's called the Simpson index. Um, I've had my own measured. I've sent my poo samples off to be uh, looked at. Who who wouldn't want to know what's down there? Uh, <laughs> and I have a reasonable Simpson index, but not compared to say some of the hunter gatherers uh, like the Hadza who live in Tanzania, and they've been studied, and they they kind of have pretty well the healthiest poo on the planet and that's partly because they obviously have a very rich and varied diet uh they're not so much gardeners but they do eat an awful lot of um sort of grubs and uh bits and pieces they pick up here and there um so diversity is the key and being in contact with the soil seems to be hugely important for that
0: Mm. can you have too much of a good thing is it possible to uh to to you know ingest too much of that
1: well, yeah, because um, there are also some pretty nasty, lethal b- bacteria out there. you're unlikely to find them in the soil, or at least um, yeah, pretty unlikely, and microbes they come you know in infinite number of varieties, uh, some of them you could classify as good, some as bad uh, amongst the ones that are in your gut uh, but again, it's kind of about the balance of the ones you have down there. There are some it seems to be one of the ways they operate is by manipulating your immune system. they can basically tune up tune it down and by doing that they um, also produce things like inflammatory factors because your immune system is not only for fighting bugs, uh, what it also does is it can attack your own tissue and lead to something called chronic inflammation and you don't want that Um, and that seems to be one of the ways by which things like the Mediterranean diet uh, fruit and veg and indeed spending time outdoors in nature um, gardening, uh, that seems to be one of the ways that it reduces uh, chronic inflammation which in turn uh, has quite a profound effect on things like mood, heart disease, cancer, and things like that. So it's a really complicated picture, but fascinating, truly, truly fascinating.
0: It's is incredible, isn't it? Because you know, we all feel having come in from a good session of gardening. We all feel better for it, and for all sorts of reasons, probably. But um, you know, that's that's obviously sort of you know emotional. But um, there's obviously a lot more going on there than than perhaps we realise. When when did this start to sort of emerge as as something more than just that? Well, literally a gut feel.
1: Um, really uh, relatively recently, and that was because previously we couldn't measure the creatures in our gut, and if you can't measure it, scientists find it very hard to study. So, um we have known for some time that gardening uh, people who garden tend to be healthier, uh, they tend to, you know, uh maintain their weight and uh, you know, they tend to live in a good old <laughs> to ripe old age quite often. Uh but they didn't it was obviously associated with the activity, it was associated with the fact that you're, you know, enjoying it you're relaxed you're out of yourself but the impact on the microbes that's been relatively recently and that's because only relatively recently have we been able to measure uh, the dna if you like because most of the creatures that live in your gut uh, you You cannot grow. And so, um, what they would do is they would take stool samples, they would grow some things, but not much. Nowadays, what they can do is they can look at the DNA, and therefore they can see fragments of DNA. And based on that, they can work out what is living in your gut. And once you can do that, you can start to manipulate the diet, you can start to see the impact that these different microbes are having. And it is an unbelievably complicated (laughs) picture down there. Uh, But it's really, I would say, last 20, five 30 years and um you know if you'd talked to people 20 years ago about the microbiome they would have looked dazed uh now everyone knows about probiotics prebiotics micro- or at least they sort of know about it uh but it's become commonplace to talk about it
0: and there are the good thing is there are ways that you can actually influence it and they're becoming clearer and 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 much more sort of um direct and and you know we've got an ability to influence it which seems to be the key
1: Absolutely. And that's, again, one of the things, because you can uh, because you can measure it, you can see the changes that occur when you change your diet, for example. We know that a diet, um, what I would characterize as a Mediterranean-style diet, that's one which is rich in fruit and vegetables, um, olive oil, oily nuts, uh, oily fish and things like that. Uh, that has quite a profound effect on the microbiome. It shifts it in a healthier direction. We know that spending time outdoors... Gardening does that. We know that exercising does that. So, a lot of things which we know are good for us, it turns out they are also good for the microbiome. Uh, but uh, the things that are bad for the microbiome are also pretty bad for us, and they would include eating lots of junk food. There are things called emulsifiers in them, uh, which are used to preserve the the length and the shelf life of foods, but your microbiome will not enjoy them. And ditto, you know, dosing yourself in lots of antibiotics uh, is not a great thing from the point of view of the microbiome, uh, because it um, struggles to come back. And just as we have, you know, devastated the planet, number of species uh, dropping off, we We know that the number of species in the modern gut is a fraction of what it would have been 50, 100 years ago and a fraction of what the hunter-gatherers like the Hadza have. So uh, we're devastating our gut garden uh, through the overuse of antibiotics and junk food and not enough fibre and all that healthy stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, well, re- well, really, that whole sort of phrase, you know, nature is a healer. It's genuinely able to sort of help you back onto your, onto your feet again if you have had a dose of, say, antibiotics and uh, and can cope with it that way. Let, let's talk specifically about what some of that kind of plant-based diet that we're all being encouraged to move towards Um what what are the health benefits behind that? And what are some of the key elements of a good plant-based diet that we ought to be moving towards? And of course, as gardeners, we could start growing them.
1: Absolutely. And the joy of growing it is it's incredibly fresh. Uh, because one of the problems with fruit and vegetables is they sometimes come a very long way. And as you know, the nutrient um, content of um, often drops away with time. Um, and so a lot of food's can take a while uh, before they reach the plate, whereas if you grow grown them yourself, you have the joy. Um, I grow, when I say I, I mean my wife, <laughs> grows quite a lot of different crops in the garden, and uh, I must admit I love it. Um, we know, um, for example, again, it's about range, it's about colour. We know that each of those different colours represents a different phytonutrient, and that means a sort of a chemical which the plant produces to protect itself uh, but seem to be very good for our health they're antioxidants uh, they're flavonoids um, and there are things like that so uh, it's all about colour and variety and trying to get a rainbow plate try and get as many different colours on the plate as you can because that way you're going to be getting a very wide range of these um, phytonutrients I mean once upon a time you know uh, I used to play a game where I would say okay count backwards from 100 um, take away 3 and then and I was saying, name a vegetable, and people would just go, carrot. It was the only vegetable that came to mind. Whereas I'm pleased to say, these days, uh, people are more likely to answer with a variety of answers like broccoli or, you know, whatever it might be. So it's about uh, a range of colours, but also there are clearly some, particularly uh, one broccoli. I'm, I'm not, I can't say I'm crazy about broccoli, but it is unbelievably nutritious. Uh, spinach, uh, the, uh, the anything which has kind of decent amounts of fibre in it um, is going to be good for you. Legumes are uh, very. Underused, Not much grown, obviously, in gardens, but increasingly being grown in the UK, things like lentils. Uh, and um, they are, certainly from the point of view of the planet, uh, one of the most nutritious foods, but also one of the most environmentally friendly because it they produce surprisingly little carbon dioxide per sort of calorie of nutrient that you get out of them. So uh, I'm a big fan now of including more of those and more more beans, more kidney beans, white beans, haricot beans. And as I said, I used to hate them, uh, but uh, i have been persuaded, let's put it that way. My wife is a great cook. She she writes all those sort of recipe books. And uh, so she's very inventive with these foods. And you you have to glug quite a lot of olive oil in, seems to be the secret, as far as I can see, to make them palatable.
0: Oh, well, that's pretty good. Yes, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's some delicious recipes at the back of, you know, the Clever Guts diet and so on. And, you know, because I do grow a lot of vegetables, it's great to see, you know, a few interesting, you know, ways to use veg, because I think it's a massively sort of undertapped and underdeveloped area. But um, yeah, I mean Things like growing broad beans, great for protein as well as you know, really easy to grow. Lots of beans are easy to grow in the garden. But um you were talking there about phytonutrients. Tell us a little bit more about what they what they do for us. You know, so yes. what are some of those benefits from phytonutrients?
1: Um, So phytonutrients are one of the classes of um, chemicals that plants produce, and we know that uh, they have a sort of powerful antioxidant effect. And uh, oxidation is one of the processes going on inside your body. It produces things things called free radicals, which kind of zap around and tend to damage your arteries and. other sort of parts of your body. It's part of the process of aging. Aging is an c- accumulation of uh, damage. If you think of a car sort of rusting and getting a bit knackered, that's probably a reasonable metaphor for your body. And um, what these um, what these phytonutrients do is they help to combat uh, the, the the action of that. They also tend to be quite powerfully anti-inflammatory in and of themselves, uh, but also because of their action on the microbiome. And as I was saying, uh, aging, a lot of the problems with aging go with inflammation. There's actually a, a word for it, inflammaging. Uh, and inflammaging basically helps to explain a lot of the uh, illnesses that go along with aging, which would include arthritis, heart disease, dementia, cancer, and things like that. So a lot of the emphasis or the research now, uh, which is looking into aging and maintaining good metabolic health is interested in seeing how you can dampen down this chronic inflammatory response and diet seems to be a big part of it eating a diet of the type i described uh, not just because of the um, impact of the phytonutrients um, but they help but also because of the impact on the microbiome so they seem to be beneficial in all sorts of different directions But primarily what they're doing is um, helping reduce Inflammation, chronic inflammation, which, as I said, seems to go hand in hand with getting a bit older. So when you get out of bed and you creak a bit, that's kind of part of uh, part of inflammaging. You now have a word to go with it.
0: <laughs> New word, but uh, yes, that's how you can feel after a, a heavy session in the garden as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely a lot of creaking there and there. But how much do we need to eat for it to be of value? You know, at what point? You know, a lot's talked about uh, five a day. It's, you know, uh, this notion that actually it's just a bit of hype. Really, we should, we should be eating more but we should be eating specifics. So what about the quantities and, and the variety that we should be eating?
1: Well, broadly speaking, uh, you should be... Five a day is kind of a minimum, uh, and some people talk 7-9. You know, if you love veg, then just top it up. Uh, we have veg with most meals. Um, I typically will have, say, an omelette for breakfast, and I'll put in uh, some of the green stuff left over from last night, or I'll chop up a bit of spinach and throw that in. Uh, we normally have vegetable soup, or maybe we'll have, uh, you know, a bit of fish with some veg for lunchtime. My wife has just been making... Uh, Uh, aubergine uh, brownies uh, and uh, which are delicious recipes available but uh, uh, and we also make our own sauerkraut so that's basically pickled cabbage Uh, I like it with beetroot gives it a lovely color I like red cabbage that really is just onions uh, red cabbage uh, uh, beetroot and salt and thyme and uh, making sauerkraut fermented foods is really good fun uh, because you have to kind of burp them every morning to get the gas out when it starts appearing. I would strongly recommend having a go uh, because it gives you all the kind of benefits of the veg but added ones as well uh, which come in the form of the bacteria because what happens is you get these sort of lovely probiotics uh, growing in the sauerkraut and uh, there's a lot of evidence now of the benefits um, in terms of again they go down into your gut and uh, they help reinforce the good ones down there the good guys and gals are already down in your gut so uh, we know again that if you buy them uh, industrially processed then generally they've been pasteurized and there's not not uh, that much goodness in them, but or not as much. But if you make it yourself, brilliant, really tasty. Uh, can send you the recipe, <laughs> but it's, it's 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 really really simple. Goes wonderfully well with scrambled eggs and things like that. So uh, yeah, we we try and cram in uh, quite a lot of uh, different uh, veg, but um, the average Brit is only consuming about two a day. Um, so there's a long way to go. Uh, if you can do more, uh, then. Lots of ways of, you know, doing so. The more, the merrier, as far as I can see. And a lot of it's about fiber as well. Uh, Ideally, you should be aiming to about 30 grams of fiber again a day. Most Brits are hitting something like 10 to 15. And if you want fiber, then you need to go for the legumes. You need to go to kidney beans because uh, green veg has some, but not that much, to be honest. Uh, And uh, you actually get more of it from things like whole grains and particularly from legumes. That's where you'll find it. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of every sort of veg and uh, anything that looks interesting and different. Um, I'll buy it and give it a go. And uh, it doesn't matter if it's frozen, tinned. Well, tinned, not great, but mm. <laughs> frozen or fresh, you know. Uh, and that's and, the thing, you yeah. know, with
0: the, with the garden, you know, and that's, that's the thing with the garden. You can try so many different things. You know, a packet of seeds is, you know, maybe three quid, three, four quid uh, to try to something new, you know, whether it's kohlrabi or fennel or, you know, many things that are a bit fibrous. Certainly things you can put into fermenting. Uh, and you know, fresh from your back door. So I, I've I had a glut of cucumbers, made a pickle from that. Uh, I've got cabbage. I've certainly got a glut of cabbage along the way. And uh, yeah, I've seen your uh, fermenting recipe for that. I'm definitely going to do some sauerkraut from that. But we'll put it on the website actually, so the website linked linked to the podcast, so people can give it a try, give it a try themselves. The other thing I know that um, increasingly is uh, certainly am, amongst my foodie friends, uh, and I love it too, are things with bitter flavors. Mm. Uh, so, and there's a lot of attention now on growing things like chicories and so on that mm. have got that sort of bitter. What is it about a bitter flavor that's maybe been missing from our diet that's that's coming back maybe out of sort of food fashion, but it's 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 good for us too, I think.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the problem with bitterness, bitterness is one of those things which um, historically has been a sort of signal for poison. Um, So on the whole, young children are averse to bitter things because, you know, that is one of the signals. Um, Now we know that lots of bitter foods are also excellent for us, whether it is broccoli or whatever. Uh, And um, as you say, you can overcome your inertial aversion to it. There are some people who are called super tasters and they do really struggle with very bitter uh, fruits and vegetables because they just you know uh, it, it just is over. But most of us aren't super tasters. You can apparently tell by looking at your tongue. You can count the number of papillae on the on the end of your tongue, and that will give you some indication if, if you're a super taster or not. You probably know if you're because you probably find bitter things difficult. But no, bitter things also. <sighs> there is a kind of a notion in science known as hormesis which is also that which does not kill you makes you stronger and so uh, there is an element of you know the bitterness really does convey uh, the sense that maybe sort of small amounts of, of sort of almost poisonous stuff uh, but actually taken in very small amounts this is more of a stimulant than going to knock you off um, so I think that's kind of where it comes into it but like you um, I love bitter things I've kind of would have been averse to them a while ago but i've taught myself to enjoy them and uh i think uh, you can it's part of the whole you know it's exploring your palate it's trying all sorts of different stuff and when you were talking about things like chicory fantastic you know you have and um the other thing which uh, people, I started talking about probiotics, these are the living bacteria that grow in things like fermented foods. And then there's the prebiotics, which are the foods which help to feed the microbiome. And there, uh, the things like inulin uh, is a particularly good prebiotic. And you find that in abundant amounts in things like chicory uh, and in some of the bitter uh, vegetables. So, uh, yeah, prebiotics, probiotics, um, you know, pile them on the plate.
0: Yeah, and there's a, there's a big movement now for foraging and going out and finding and eating young leaves. So, you know, dandelion leaves are, are again, you know, related to chicory and uh, quite a few seeds coming in from Italy where they have a sort of much wider range of chicory-type um, leaves that we might have thought of just as weeds. Um, and for, you know, but 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 actually they are delicious and just added to a salad, um, you know, just add that little bit of extra bite. And foraging is kind of interesting because we're getting into eating nettles and uh, or, or rediscovering, putting it this because it is a rediscovery, I think.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I remember when I was eight years old uh, in a biology lesson, and the teacher there was. I have no idea why I remember it, but I remember him talking about nettles. And I remember him saying that nettles were uh, rich in iron, that they were incredibly cheap, obviously, uh, and that we should give it a go. Um, So here we are nearly sort of uh, 55 years later, and I can still remember him telling me that story. I've never done it, I must admit. Uh, But um, I I swear at nettles a lot. I pull them up. Uh, But I've never tried. Apparently, they have to be very young. And I'm told they are sort of like spinach a bit, perhaps, maybe.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yes. Well, first of all, always use rubber gloves. <laughs> yeah, definitely don't go. So, um, yeah, in, in the autumn, yeah, don't touch the ne- don't touch nettles then. But in the spring, you know, May time when they first come through, actually delicious, and then just steamed. Uh, you can include them in you know soups and on all sorts. So they they really do have a sort of delicious flavour. They certainly are like spinach. But um, yeah, you've got to approach with caution because they certainly have a a real sting in the tail. <laughs>
1: I think that's good. I also like the idea of getting my revenge on the nettles uh, by eating them young.
0: Yes, exactly. You know, and uh, you know, of course, people used to spray pesticide all over them, but uh, but now really, you just you know, no one's touching that hopefully anymore in the garden. So we've got to find our way. You know, if you can't beat them, eat them.
1: And there's the other advantage with foraging, which means you're going to be outdoors, you're going to be in the sunshine, you're going to be spending time in green spaces, ideally. And again, we know that that is hugely beneficial uh, for our mental and our physical health. And indeed, uh, if you can spend time in forests, uh, we know that um, trees uh, produce uh, a sort of a range of volatile chemicals, which seem to be good for our immune system and good for our mood. Uh, There was a study done in Japan where they're particularly keen on what they call forest bathing. And they found that spending time in a wooded area uh, boosted levels of things called natural killer cells, which are part of your immune system. So um, I'm very fortunate. I have a forest uh, just down the road from me. And so I go and run or walk in it almost every day, sometimes twice a day. And um, I haven't been foraging there. I'm not sure there's anything forageable there, but I'll have a look.
0: You never know. You never know. It's worth a look. But I mean, even, well, the idea that we should all be planting more trees is so prevalent at the moment. The environment demands it. And in fact, just planting one or two trees of your own, I would have thought would start to connect you. Mm. Uh, you know, even in an urban plot where all you can see around you is 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 concrete uh, or bricks or whatever, certainly introducing trees, I would have thought even on a small scale, will that, will mm. that have an influence?
1: Yeah, I mean, interestingly, um, uh, a few years ago, um, I presented a series called Trust Me, I'm a Doctor on BBC Two. And we did an experiment where we decided to just introduce some silver birch trees in tubs outside um, houses on quite a busy road. Now, when the producer suggested... Uh, this to me but he said uh, there was some studies showing that introducing trees cuts down indoor air pollution I thought it's never going to work but we decided to do it anyway so we planted the birch trees um, as I said in tubs outside the houses and what we did is we kind of measured the level of indoor pollution mainly coming obviously from the road the microparticles uh, which are so bad for your health we measured those on the television set and around there and then we came back about six weeks later and we measured them again and there was a significant significant reduction. The the little old silver birch trees outside had been trapping uh, the uh, pollutants coming from the diesel lorries and trucks that were going by and actually having an impact on the quality of the air in the houses. Uh, and when it rained, uh, all the uh, pollutants that they'd trapped in their leaves would just sort of wash off and go down the drain. And I thought that was just really rather wonderful. And so if you do live anywhere near a busy road, then planting some trees... Um, outside your house, uh, could be hugely beneficial.
0: Yeah, yeah, the, the, absolutely. I, I think I've read similar research, and uh, in fact, if you can plant evergreens, all the better. And that sort of sticky, hairy leaf of an evergreen will often trap even more. So it's extraordinary what we're discovering now. But um, but but you've you've discovered gardening relatively recently. I think uh, perhaps I think I've read that a bit like uh, so many people in lockdown. You took up a bit more gardening.
1: Absolutely. Um, my wife has always been a keen gardener. Uh, I tend to, tend to get hauled out to just dig things up when necessary. Uh, but we're fortunate. We live in sort of um, semi-rural uh, area. We have a decent sized garden and Claire has been um, busy chopping and cutting and things like that. Um, she does try. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I'm the most active gardener in the world, but uh, I'm I'm more of a theoretical gardener, to be honest. Um, I do enjoy listening uh, to Gardener's World. uh, I do enjoy uh, watching programs on the telly. And I do enjoy the end product. I mean, I'm good at uh, picking the raspberries and the strawberries and the tomatoes and the green beans and things like that. Uh, But um, my knowledge is at best superficial. But uh, I'm an enthusiast, let's put it that way.
0: But, but but the two brains together I can see are making uh, amazing things probably in the garden in terms of what you're what you're growing. So tell us tell us what's in the garden, what's in the Mosley family garden at the moment that you might be picking from uh, to, for a sort of healthy meal in, in the next few weeks.
1: Absolutely, not very much right at the m- moment. Um, so the tomatoes we've come to the tail end of the strawberries and raspberries have all gone. Green beans pretty well gone. Uh, there's a little bit of spinach still left. There's a bit of um, lettuce, although I'm afraid it looks as though it's bolting. Uh, and uh, there is some rhubarb Um, so I do love rhubarb so those are the main things other than that we've been out um, doing the last of the blackberry picking uh, and uh, we also have some uh, apple trees. So we got some windfall apples, and so pretty well every meal has apple in some form or another. Uh, I do like blackberry apple pie, uh, and uh, the rest of it goes in the freezer, but i got bucket loads of that. Uh, and I've actually, um, as we had enough apples this year, uh, we made some apple juice out of it, and I'm attempting to make cider as we speak. It's downstairs. I haven't dared um, remove the cover to see if it's actually bubbling away. Way or not, but I chucked in the yeast and uh, standing back and waiting to see whether it will transform itself into a delicious cider or not
0: yes, that can be quite explosive but uh, they're interesting apples apples are, are are one of the real super super fruits aren't they tell us tell us a little bit more about apples that's that's quite an incredibly important fruit for us
1: absolutely so it's kind of obviously along with bananas uh, they are the one of the most eaten fruits in the UK. I do love sort of variety and I like very tart apples um, so we know that um, I always eat them with, you know, you've got to eat the whole thing. Most of the goodness is in the skin. It's like potatoes. I never understood why I spent my youth having to peel potatoes when um, these days I just give them a cursory scrub and, and chop them up. Never, ever, ever do I peel potatoes anymore. And the same is true of apples. Uh, as I said, the goodness is in the skin and I eat the whole thing. Sometimes I, um, including the core, and sometimes I even eat the sort of, you know, the bit at the end, uh, just, you know. Give my microbiome something to think about. <laughs> Very uh, much so. <laughs> uh, but no, um, apples are full of, of again, of flavonoids, uh, of all sorts of different things. Uh, they're a decent um, source of vitamin C and other vitamins. Uh, and uh, they also, you know, they're a decent source of fiber. Uh, and um, I, I, I love them sort of chopped up with porridge in the morning, or whatever it might be, as I said. In a pie, they're unbelievably versatile. Uh, and unbelievably abundant this time of year.
0: And again, something that we can all grow really easily. Even a relatively small garden can easily fit in a couple of apple trees on small rootstocks. Because there is a question, I guess, of, you know, as you say, all the goodness is in the skin. But if you've bought from a shop, you don't know the pesticides that might be on it or... Any of the chemicals that are on it. So, has there been anything that might tell us? Does that is that outweighed actually by the overall benefit um, of uh, of eating, you know, the, the skin and so on?
1: I don't think we know. I mean, the other thing is obviously that when you buy apples, um, they can have been in storage for a very long time, and again, the vitamin C content tends to drop off with time. So, the joy of um, having your own is, as you say, you know, it hasn't been sprayed with anything, and you also know it is unbelievably fresh. It has just come off that tree, uh, but. Um, with some of the other stuff you buy in shops, you don't know far, how far it has travelled. Um, I do try, you know, when I'm when. The apples are not in season. I try to buy them, uh, British apples, but um, for obvious reasons, uh, by the time you hit spring or times like that, most of them have either been in storage uh, for a very long time or they're coming a long way. And um, we're all very conscious of our carbon footprint and there is nothing which is going to reduce your carbon footprint uh, more than eating stuff you've grown yourself, which has not had to be, you know, transported hundreds and in some cases, tens of thousands of miles
0: that's right and when you when you choose your own apple to plant then you can choose something that stores that's a really good store all the way through to you know march april may or, or or you know in your own cool shed so there's certainly a way of kind of extending the apple picking and, and eating season by uh, by just choosing the right variety so so i thought just to wrap up just just give us one kind of really simple takeaway that you think that what's the one thing that every gardener should do more of for their health
1: I think the one thing they should probably do is encourage their partner, uh, like me, if they're not already doing it, to do it. Uh, (laughs) We know, as I was saying, there are benefits from the hands-on stuff. It's the exercise. It's the activity. It's the socializing. So, yeah, uh, try and motivate other people to join in your passion if you can. I think the more people uh, who take it up, the better.
0: Yeah, that's a that's great evidence. And of course there's love there's love there is lovely evidence actually of, of, of the more that you have a passion and share it with somebody, the more enjoyment you get out of it and you stick with it
1: absolutely and also what it means is that um, you it is a gift it's a gift you're giving to someone else and one of the things we know uh, is happiness one of the secrets of happiness is both uh, you know spending time with people you like uh, and it is also sharing stuff with people you like and gifting stuff to people you love Uh, all of these things will um, significantly contribute to your sense of well-being and happiness and um, material things are not very Effective. You buy the sofa, not a great way of boosting your happiness except for a short period of time. It is these other things that really, truly, truly matter.
0: Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardeners World Magazine podcast. So, if you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app. And we'll see you next time.